Good to be here this morning. I'm Brian Robinson. I'm on staff here at River City Church. And last week, Antley talked about um, some, some heavy stuff. I feel like even, even this morning, there's been like a real presence of God's uh, weightiness like in a good way, like, like the presence of the Lord to, to really engage where we are and some of us in the brokenness that we feel. And I feel like last week, Antley shared about that. And I'm going to kind of extend that a little bit more today with the story from John chapter 4. But let me pray for us before we get started, and uh, we'll get going. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for what you've been doing this morning in us. Thank you, God, for, for raising hope in some of our hearts this morning. I pray you do that through your word right now, Father. And pray you just come, Holy Spirit, right now, and that you would illuminate your, your word to our hearts and to our minds, and that you would just have your way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So a few years ago, quite a, quite a number of years ago, I was... Um, I was at a friend's house. I, 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 I didn't have a, um, I lived in an apartment at the time. Well, it was a long time ago, actually. And I, had, I was at a friend's house washing my car. And I was um, just washing my car in front of his house. He had, a, he had a kind of a, a wooden dock or deck in the front of his house. And I went to grab the hose to, the, uh, to, to wash the car off. And the deck was kind of old. And I, I went to grab the hose. And there was a little piece of wood sticking out. And I went like this. And I grabbed the thing. And a piece of splinter wood went right under my nail. This is a great story to start with. You know, get your attention. I mean, the, the, the little piece of wood just went under my nail. And I, I mean, the pain, the, the pain was incredible. Just stuck under there. And I remember I, I went inside. My friend grabbed these tweezers and she began to try to pull it out. And she just pushed it further in to where it was like near my pancreas or something. I mean, she, the way she was pulling it in, it was just like just pushing it. And it was like, it was agony. I mean, it was beyond agony, you guys. Like, it was this little tiny piece of wood. And I would have done anything to, to take away that pain, right? You could have my kidneys or something. I would have done anything to get rid of the pain. I was like, just make it stop, you know, just make it stop. So I went to the hospital, and they made me wait for like 17 hours. And I, no, it was like, like 20 minutes or something. And, I, and they gave me three Novocaine shots, and they cut the nail off and pulled the splinter out. It's a great story to start with, but I have a point. There's a point to this. Thank God for medicine. No, no, the point is, <clears throat> so anyway, this agony, you would have never known looking at me the kind of pain that I was in at that moment, right? You would have looked at me. I wasn't bleeding. I didn't have any broken bones. I wasn't limping. I looked completely normal, but I was in crazy agony. And I believe many of us live like that. You know, many of us live with these splinters in our souls from things in our past or things in our present. And you would never know it looking at someone. They look all together. They look fine. They look great. And, and the pain in our hearts, the pain in our lives, we just say, God, just take it away. Cut off the finger. Whatever it takes, just take it away. And we'll turn to things and whatever to numb that pain. But this story in John chapter 4 is about a woman who had that going on in her heart. And Jesus meets her in this place. Let's, let's read. This is John chapter 4. It's an amazing story. It's a long story. I'm going to break it up in three parts. And I want to read... The entire story, it's 40 verses approximately, but we're going to go through this. John chapter 4, verse 4. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, 
and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Let's stop there for a second. So this, this story is in one gospel, the gospel of John. It's the longest interaction Jesus has with any person. It's an amazing story. In many ways, it's a scandalous story because of what just happened. Jesus is left alone by his disciples, which would be unheard of, a rabbi being left alone in a non-Jewish place called Samaria. Samaritans were considered rejected. They were kind of like half, half Jewish, half Gentile, half breeds, and they were ostracized by Gentiles, and they were ostracized by Jews. They, they had different theological beliefs, and they were considered rejected. They didn't believe that Jerusalem was the center of, of, of Israel or that of, of Judaism, and they believed where they were worshiping was, was, where it was supposed to be. They had different beliefs, and they were ostracized. So Jesus is coming. He sits down at a well because he's thirsty. You have to have a bucket and a long rope to get the water. He didn't have it. So he sits down, and, he, and the disciples leave him, which is pretty shocking. He tells them to go into town to buy food. And so he's there, and she comes up, and he says, we give me a drink. She must have been just shocked. She must have been just shocked. Like, you're Jewish. I'm a Samaritan. You're a man. I'm a woman. You're alone. I'm alone, and you're talking to me. So there's all these cultural norms he's breaking and I think, I think it's more than just him being thirsty. He probably was thirsty. But it's more than him being thirsty. He knows what's going to happen. And so it's a bit scandalous, right? I mean, all the implications of what's happening here is a bit shocking. But he doesn't care about the norms of the culture. He cares about this woman's life and her heart. And so he says, he begins to dialogue with her. If you knew, verse 10, the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well to drink from himself, as also his sons and his livestock? So she doesn't get it. He's trying to, he's trying to make this a little more deeper conversation. And living water to us means, oh, that's something spiritual. But for her, that just meant fresh water. Like living water was just, in, the, in, the, in, that, in that day, was just fresh water. It was bubbling from a spring versus stagnant water. So he's saying living water, and he's, taking, he's raising the sort of implications or understanding of it, and she's like, where is the living water? Are you better than whatever, whatever. He doesn't, he doesn't understand. He says, verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She still thinks he's talking about something physical. She says to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to drink water. So he is engaging her where she is, talking to her, just, just caring about where she is. And, and he sees this woman. He knows he's probably been waiting all morning to have this interaction. I can imagine him sitting and thinking, you guys, go ahead. This is going to be too shocking for you. I'm going I'm I'm to talk to her because there's something amazing that's going to happen. And he meets her where she is. And she is still kind of in shock. And so she's, she's, she's kind of deflecting and dialoguing in a way that sort of is a smokescreen. And he says to her, go and call your husband. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man that you're now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now, I don't believe he did that, did that in any way to shame her at all. I don't, I don't see an interaction anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus engaged a broken person and shamed them. He shamed people who are the Pharisees, religious hypocrites. He pointed out their, their inconsistencies. But what he's doing right now is he's demonstrating his divinity, getting a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit, and he's also demonstrating her need for him. 
He's not shying away from where she really is in her life, but he's not shaming her. She may feel some guilt or shame, but the reality is he's not trying to expose her and, and make her feel like a, like a failure. And so she recognizes your prophet, she says, verse 19. And so she puts up another, another kind of smoke screen. She says this big question, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus brings it back to something spiritual. He says, woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is now coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming, and it's now come, when worshipers, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And here's the... Here's the amazing part. She says to him, I know, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I'm he. Crazy. He never did that. He never just came out and said, I'm the Messiah. He said, when Peter found out, the disciples realized, he says, quiet, quiet, quiet. Don't tell anybody. I don't make a big ruckus about this. You know, I don't, get, I don't want to get picked up by the crowds, made king. But this woman, this broken woman, five marriages, he simply says, the man that you've always been seeking for is now standing in front of you. You have looked to fill your heart, to fill your life with a relationship that will never, ever work. But the one you've really longed for, the one you've waited for, it's me. It's me. I'm right in front of you now. He would say that to everyone here in this room, every man, every woman. The, the relationship you've always needed is not going to be found in a man or a woman. It's going to be found in the man. Amen. The man. You will never be fulfilled with someone else's life because they are broken too. They are broken too. They are broken cups and the water will just pour out of them like it pours out of you. You will find true life in the one who is life. So five marriages, you know, I have a friend, a childhood friend who's been married four times, and he's on his fifth one now. And, you know, I don't know her story, but you imagine a woman in the first century, there weren't many options. You couldn't just go out and get a college degree and become a professor at NYU. You know, it's not going to happen. So she, so she got married probably pretty young. Maybe tragedy struck, but maybe she was in love. Hopefully she was in love, and she... Married for love the first time. But then, who knows? Tragedy struck. Brokenness struck. He left her. Whatever. Then the next one. This will be different. Then the next one. This will be different. Then the next one. And the next one. I mean, my friend has been married four times. Like, he is so hardened. He is so broken. Each time he thinks, this is the one. This is the one. This is the one. And Jesus engages her right where she is. He points out that splinter immediately. Not to shame her, but to say, you're not disqualified. You're not disqualified. Five marriages, and you're still not disqualified from my love. Do you believe that? Five marriages, you're not disqualified from my love? In fact, your brokenness qualifies you for my love. And what does she do? Like, it's crazy. What does she do? Like, her response. Well, first, the subs come back, and they're shocked. Verse 27, the disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, verse 28, leaving her, her water jar, 
the woman went back to the town and told the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. One thing, actually, one thing. But she says everything. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, the disciples said, Rabbi, eat something. Have some food, basically. He said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. They, just, they said to, to each other, could someone have brought him some food? <laughs> it's kind of funny. He still hasn't had any water, guys. He was, he's thirsty. It's been hours, and he still is like, I'm not here for the water. You're not getting this. And he says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest. And here's the key verse of the whole passage. I tell you now, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. They are ripe for harvest. She goes back and gets her friends, probably the very friends who had ostracized her. We know that probably because she came out to draw water at noon. In the morning was when women went out to get water for their families. She's avoiding people. She walked alone to that well by herself at noon, probably to avoid people. Five marriages in a small town. Everyone knows who you are. But she goes back. The first response is, I've met the Messiah. Come and see him. She goes back to get her friends to bring him to Jesus. Skip it down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days in an unclean town. And because of his words, many more became believers. So her first response is not to go back and like hide it. But her first response in the midst of her brokenness is to tell her friends. They come out. Jesus stays two more days with these people. And they become followers of Jesus. There's a thousand Samaritans left in the world. There are still Samaritans today in Israel. There's about a thousand left, or a little bit less than that. And some are Christians. And some people say that they trace their Christianity back to this woman. Supposedly, church tradition says that she was taken before Nero and she was tortured and killed for her faith, thrown, thrown down in the bottom of a well and killed for her faith. It's a crazy story about this, this woman who was in so many ways culturally disqualified from so many things. And Jesus stands before her and says, you're qualified. She becomes the first evangelist in the Bible. In the New Testament, she's the first evangelist, you guys. She is. No one else did it. She does it. She goes and tells her friends. It's an amazing story. God is not sexist. God is not racist. He doesn't care. You're not disqualified. You're not disqualified. In fact, he hates it. He hates division. He hates it. And Jesus is making a statement by, by, by simply in his day and age doing what he just did, what he did in that story. He's making a statement. I show no favoritism. I show no favoritism. Everyone is qualified to hear this message and to respond to this message. About a month ago, I, I was having some health problems and... Uh, and I was having some stomach problems. I'm, gonna be a little, I'm not too descriptive here. But I was having some problems, and, uh, and I got a blood test, and, I, and the blood test came back like, with a marker for Crohn's disease. And so I was like pretty nervous. I was pretty, pretty scared. I get a little bit hypochondriac-ish. Um, <clears throat> depends on who you talk to. But 
but sometimes I actually do really have problems. Sometimes I really do have problems. I'm right, you know, sometimes I'm actually right, you know. Um, so, I mean, I, I've, had, I've had many things over the years in my mind, and some actual things over the years. <clears throat> so, I got this, so, the, so the doctor calls me on uh, Christmas Eve, which is kind of scary, at 4 o'clock. He's Jewish, so he doesn't really care about Christmas Eve. But he calls me on Christmas Eve <laughs> at 4 o'clock to tell me about the, the blood test, basically. And, and to make sure I'm coming in for the colonoscopy, you know, after Christmas or whatever, and the endoscopy. And so he's like, and so he's just, the, it's the worst scenario for me. It's like, worst case, I'm up in Virginia, and he's like, you may have Crohn's disease. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then uh, he's like, just get, get with your family and, and have them, you know, tell you good thoughts about you. I'm like, what is that? Come on, man. <laughs> it's Christmas Eve, you're telling me this on Christmas Eve? Merry Christmas. Jeez. So he calls me and tells me this story. And uh, this, this, this reality, and so I, I'm, I'm like responding to all this, thinking all this negative stuff. I'm like, you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, I got another few months to live probably, and <laughs> I'm going to make a video for my kids on, you know, on, on Google. I'm like making a video like, I love you guys in case I don't make it through. Uh, I mean, seriously, it's ridiculous. But anyway, so my wife's back there laughing. But anyway, so I had the colonoscopy just like last week. I had the colonoscopy endoscopy. I want to show some pictures. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. <clears throat> anyway, but I'm in the waiting room. I'm in the waiting room, and, um, and this is a, it's a massive, you know, building with just, just dozens, probably 100 people in this room waiting for colonoscopies, endoscopies. And, just, and I'm thinking to myself, man, there are a lot of sick people. Um, some of them are for just a normal 50-year whatever checkup. But... <laughs> But, but the reality was, I was thinking to myself, man, there are so many people here that are so sick. You know, I'm sure half these people or a third of these people really actually are here because they have really pro- real problems. And you would never have known it. You just you would never have known it. Like they looked, they didn't look sick. But as I looked at some of them, there was just fear and anxiety, and just in their eyes, you could just tell like something is really wrong, and they're about to get a test done to tell them, yes, you've got, you know, stage four of this or you've got that. Luckily, my test came back negative and I didn't have any, it didn't have any, it didn't have any Crohn's. I just have, um, you know, hypochondria. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think, yes, yes, amen. Yes, just hypochondria. You can pray for me later. <laughs> it's a terrible condition. <laughs> it's a terrible condition. There's no cure, I don't think. Oh, man. Is there? Maybe deliverance. Oh, gosh. It's way worse than Crohn's. No. That's terrible. That's not true. That's not true. Not true at all. Um, But seriously, seriously, I I thought to myself, man, there's just people that are so broken. We come across people every day that we have no idea what they're going through. They look totally normal. They look totally fine. Our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends at school, our relatives, and they, they just... You would never know this person has, has got this sickness or this thing going on in the marriage or this thing going on financially or whatever it may be. And the point of today's story, the point of today's message really is that we are all broken people and we are still called to go. We're still called to go. There is no excuse, honestly, to not share with others. We can't simply say, I'm too broken until I get this much freedom, this much healing, this much, whatever it is in our mind that the enemy wants us to believe that qualifies us, we never get there. And our friends go on in their suffering and our coworkers and our neighbors, the people that God has divinely 
supernaturally appointed you to love. It's really true, you guys. You guys are where you are for a reason in your neighborhoods, in your in your in schools, in jobs, because you're there to be salt and light. You're there to be salt and light. You're there to bring light to their darkness, salt to their lack of saltiness. You're there to bring flavor as a Christian. I've said this before, but you're there for a reason. And we disqualify ourselves because of where we are sometimes. I'm not ready. I'm not whole enough. I'm not healed enough. And Jesus says to the woman, you're not disqualified. Every great testimony is filled with tests. And we all have tests that we go through as Christians. We all have brokenness in our lives, failures in our lives. And God says, you're not disqualified for that. And the message today is, we are going to still encourage you, go. We're going we're to encourage you to go. This year, to go to broken people, to lost people, to wounded people. So just throughout this year, guys, we're going to present things to you. We're, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, from my own belief, is we're going to have opportunities for you to serve and to love lost people. And there are, there are many things we're planning for this church. I'm so excited to say we're, we're going to care about refugees in our city. We're going to care about poor people in our city. We're going to care about lost people overseas. We're going to have mission trips. We're going to do things that cause us to step out of the comfort of this little bubble called church. We need to do this. It's time. It's time as city groups to adopt and say, I'm going to step out as a city group and we're going to start feeding food on street corner. We're going to start caring for something else besides our little Bible study. We need to have a missional mindset, you guys. Like I'm convinced we've got to get it in the DNA again because it is our DNA. We've got to get in the DNA of our hearts that we are called to love the most marginalized, the most broken, the most wounded, the most lost. Because that's what some of you were and are even. <laughs> it's true. So we're going we're gonna to push, push that envelope. We're going to say, this is, this is what's going. This is what's, what's happening. We're going to have mission trips. We're going to have experiences. Um, because God is raising up people in our congregation right now that have hearts for this. Really, honestly. There are people in our congregation that, feel, that have hearts for, for missions, local missions, local outreach, global outreach. And so I, I want to say it's almost like it's not an option to make any more excuses. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but... We have got to stop saying, I'm just, when I get healed enough, I'll start serving in kids' ministry. When I get healed enough, I'll go on a mission trip. When I get healthy enough, I'll do this. You, you are qualified. You are a wounded healer. Jesus will use your wounds to bring hope to another person. So in a month, there is a conference. And I feel like part of this whole, I'm giving you kind of a picture of kind of what's, what's happening in our church right now is I feel the Lord's calling us outside of ourselves, meaning partnering with other ministries, other churches, other organizations to care about broken people. So in a month, we're going to take the youth to a conference called The Send in Orlando, Florida, February 23rd. If you have the slide, it's a huge gathering of young adults, youth, adults, all different ages. The goal is to equip and to sort of catalyze a movement to love lost people here and overseas, evangelism and missions. And we're going to go in a month. And I would just put this seed in you to think about going with your city group or going with a few friends. It's one day, Saturday morning to Saturday night. It's Francis Chan. It's Bill Johnson. It's Heidi Baker. It's Bethel Worship. It's a bunch of big names. But the reality is it's to catalyze and to, to create a hunger for the reality that we have been called to love the lost. 
And so the story is this woman, where she was with Jesus, becomes a lover of the lost in her own community. And that went on, and the, and the, the, the fruit of that is, is seen a thousand, two thousand years later. It's, it's amazing. So God has put you where you are for, for that reason. So we're going to do more. I'm, 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 we're going to share more about opportunities to come up, but there's just, there's just I'm going to put the seed in, in, in our hearts for today. Let's stand as we close. <clears throat> stand as we close. <clears throat> I just keep coming back to verse 26 again, that, that declaration that Jesus said to the woman, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. We have all sought things that we thought would fulfill us, that would complete us, that would heal us, and those things have left us less fulfilled and less complete, often enslaved. The very thing that we thought would bring us freedom has often enslaved us. The very thing that we thought would free us became our idol, whether it's money or sex, power. The very thing that we thought would bring us life has brought us death. And so Jesus stands before you this morning and says, I, I am the one who can change all that. The one you've always desired is standing right in front of you now. So wherever you are, I just encourage you, especially, especially this is hitting home with you, this brokenness thing that you're not disqualified. I, I would encourage you to come forward for prayer. We have a time of prayer every week where, where folks will come down and just receive prayer. You hold your hands out like you're receiving a gift. That way we know, that way we know to pray for you. And the prayer ministers will come and pray for you. It's nothing crazy. We're just going to pray over you. We're not going to push you over or something. We're just going to pray a blessing and pray whatever God is putting on our hearts. So let's pray. As we close. Lord, I thank you for this incredible story of you crossing all the lines to love this amazing human being. And the story of her becoming your messenger to dozens and dozens and hundreds of people, Lord. I pray you just would come now, Holy Spirit, and you come, Holy Spirit, and bring hope to the hopeless. That you're not through, you're not through with us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So God's going to speak right now to some of you. Just right now, he's going to bring up things in your, in your life. If you feel shame, it's not the Lord. If you feel, if you feel condemned, that's not the Lord. Right now, some of, you, some of you are thinking about your failures. That's not the Lord telling you you're a failure. So in Jesus' name, I pray that you would speak Holy Spirit, truth, and remove deception. Deception destroys lives. Father, remove deception. We've believed incorrectly about you. You are for us, not against us. You are good and loving and powerful. Thank you, Lord. So if you want prayer for anything, the front is open. Our prayer ministers, please come down front if you would, and we will begin to pray for you.